Apple Presents Meet the Musician at the Apple Store. All right, let's please welcome this evening's guest moderator, senior editor at Billboard.com, Alex Gale. How's it going, everybody? What's going on? So, uh, yeah, my name is Alex Gale. I'm an editor at Billboard. Used to work at The Source, Double XL, Vibe. Um, written about hip hop for you know half my life now, so I'm really excited and really happy that you guys came out for this. And um, without talking too much, who is here to see Rhapsody, which I assume is everybody. <laughs> all right, cool. And, as you all know, you probably know her story already, but uh, she's just an amazing, talented rapper from North Carolina um, who's just been coming up and just like improving and putting out amazing music for years. Um, you know, from her first album uh, in 2012, many, many mixtapes, and then, you know, recently she got a big bump, as you all know, uh, from whose album? Okay, cool. And, uh, and that, you know, as we can all agree, that's an amazing album, uh, one of the best albums of recent memory, and she is one of the only, she's really the only guest rapper on it. Uh, Snoop has a short part, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of, she's getting new shine because of that, but it's not just about that one song, like her whole catalog, you can go back, it's amazing. Uh, she just released an album, or rather a re-release of an EP called uh, Beauty and the Beast, which was fantastic as well. How many of you guys have Beauty and the Beast out here? All right. Okay, good. We got some real Rhapsody fans here. So uh, without further ado, let's bring out Rhapsody. Welcome her, y'all. My man. How's it going? It's good. It's good. good to see you again. You <laughs> How y'all doing? Good. All right. So yeah, uh, welcome and thanks so much for doing this. It's going to be great and uh, very excited to meet you. Big fan of the music. Obviously, a huge fan of Kendrick Lamar and your work with that, but your own, you know, discography and category uh, and back catalog is amazing. And Thank as you. I've been preparing for this, so I already knew your music, but I've just been digging, digging deeper, and like it gets better and better. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you, man. A lot uh, of work, a lot of work. Right. So one of the first uh, questions I want to ask you um, is just your first memory of music. My very first, Michael Jackson, like probably a lot of us. But um, I just remember we had a, a box, old box set TV, TV that sat on the floor and his videos would come on. Um, I can't stop to get enough or whatever. My dad had VHS tapes he would play and it would be just me learning songs and trying to moonwalk, you know, putting on socks, trying to go in the kitchen and learn how to moonwalk. And that's my first memory of music like that's he's the person that made me fall in love with music. Um, and, you know, that. There was nobody greater than him. And other than that, you know, my dad loved Luther Vandross. So he would drill into my head like, can't nobody sing better than Luther. There will never be anybody that sings better than Luther. So to this day, I know about every Luther song that comes on the radio. There you go. And then um, my mom would have us clean up on Saturday mornings. Like, I'm from North Carolina, the country. So that's the thing, like, you come home, do your chores, but on Saturday, you get to watch cartoons for about an hour and then, you know, go clean that bathroom, go mop the floor. Not with a mop, like with a rag, like get on your oh, knees man. and mop the floor. And she would put on Tina Turner and Patti LaBelle. So I grew up on Michael Jackson and soul music. Like mm -hmm. that, those are my earliest memories of music. Have you ever gotten to sample Luther Vandross yet? One of your songs? I have, but um, we haven't released it. Okay, so that's go. like a hidden gem. Um, Ninth actually produced it. Mm -hmm. And my dad was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you, you can't touch Luther. What are you doing? <laughs> so 
So, I mean, I thought, I thought he would love it, but it was a total opposite reaction. Right, right. So. And I think it's obvious from anyone that hears your music that you take hip-hop, the art of rapping, the culture of hip-hop so, so, so seriously, and it really means a lot to you. So what made you want to you know, take presumably your love of hip-hop and actually do it yourself? Was there a moment, was there a breakthrough moment, maybe a concert, an album, or a particular artist? It was MC Light. That was, and I was young, man. I, I don't even think I was in kindergarten yet, but yeah. it was the same scenario. I was sitting in front of the TV, that same box set, Indian style, and um, the Poor Georgie video came on. Mm. And I don't know what it was about that particular song, but you know, just to see the light, and she was a woman, and she was rhyming the way she did, and I was like, wow, I was floored. Because so so many of the hip-hop artists at the time, like I was fans of, were guys, and she was the first female that I saw that really, that hit it out the park, like, dang, she could rap just as good as the fellas, and that's when I knew, like, oh, you could do that, if she, could, she can do it. But I was young, it wasn't until I got into college that, you know, I, I was like, let me, let me give it a try. Because other than that, you know, I would try to freestyle, like we would be cleaning up and I'd get the, um, the vacuum hose, like I'd stop the vacuum and beat me on my brother and I'd start, try to freestyle, he'd be like, that's whack. <laughs> I'd be like, well, I can't be a rapper. <laughs> you know, my brother just called me whack. So I just, I pushed that on down inside right. and just kept it hidden. And, you know, I started writing poetry and um, when I got in high school, because, you know, I had boyfriends at the time and my heart got broken several, several times. So, you know, I'd give me a little paper and write my little feelings out. Um, and that's how I started writing poetry. And then that just turned into lyrics in college. But um, MC Light, poor George. What does your brother think now? Man, oh, he's excited. Like, I go home, he's in the army. He'd be like, yo, when I get out, can I be your hype man? He's like, yo, I, I could do that. And I'm like, yeah, I got you. <laughs> but nah, like, he's, he's very proud. Like, it's really dope. One thing I forgot to mention in the intro is, uh, as everyone here knows, you are signed to Jamla, uh, the label from Ninth Wonder, the legendary producer behind classics from Jay-Z, Little Brother, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so did want to ask you how you first linked up with him. I met Ninth um, while I was in college at NC State. And the crazy thing is, um, this is before I started trying to write lyrics and rhyme. You know, I was doing poetry at the time, and. I was like, man, I really want to do something in music. So there was this music store, and they were going out of business. So they were having a clearance sale. And I went in, I got this little beat machine. It was probably like this big. And I am the worst at electronics. Like, me and electronics don't mix. Like, I went home, turned it on. I just stared at it like, I don't know what to do next. So actually, I tried to make beats first for like a week. Like, I was just, it was just boom. It was uh, the metronome. And I didn't know what to do after that. So my brother-in-law, he went to NC State, and Ninth was at NC State at the time. He was like, yo, he's like, you trying to make beats? I was like, I got, I got a homeboy. He could teach you how to make beats. I was like, word? I was like, yeah, he just finished working with Jay-Z. He's named Ninth Wonder. I was like, you know him? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? I was like, nah, I'm good. Because <laughs> I had been, I spent that whole week, and it's just like, this is horrible. I'm not going over there. He's not going to be like, nah, you ain't got it. So I was just like, nah, I'm good. So, you know, I knew him, but that's not how I met him. It was, uh, we started a hip hop organization on campus and you know, it was probably about 20 of us. And everybody did something, whether they rhymed or they DJed or they beatboxed or whatever. And I was the only one, you know, 
I do poetry, spoken word, whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, it was one summer they were doing a mixtape and I went to hang out and my best friend at the time, he was like, you know, you've been telling me like how much you want to rhyme. He was like, you know, this, this ain't a place nobody's going to judge you. He's like, man, just do it. Like we having fun. I was like, all right. And I wrote and recorded my first two songs ever. And I say that was July and October night came to talk to our organization. You know, um, he, he played Genius, he played some uh, Little Brother stuff, you know, he talked to us about the business, and then he listened to our compilation. It's, it's about 20 of us in the room. Oh, man. I found the farthest, <laughs> darkest corner I could, and I sat in it, and I was like, Jesus, he's, he didn't play me on the beats, but he about to play me on these rhymes, like, he's not going to like this. Um, you know, I thought my voice didn't sound good or whatever, and it's crazy, like, when it, when it played, he kept saying, take it back take it back again, take it back, take it back. And they played it like five times and I'm like, man, what is going on? Like my, my palms are sweaty. <laughs> That's like the Eminem song, you throw up spaghetti. Like yeah. I was about there, that was me. I was like, oh my God, I was probably pale in the face. Yeah. And um, you know, he was like, he looked at everybody, he was silent for a little bit. He was like, That's your star. And wow. I was like, wow. He was like, he was like, you got a dope voice. He was like, you just gotta work on, you know, your cadence and flow, but he was like, you got it. And and that's how I met Ninth, and I've, we've been rocking ever since. Like he took me under his wing, and I signed with him in '08. Never looked back. That's amazing. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. like the thing that you hear that happens that actually hardly ever really happens. It happens. Right? <laughs> that's amazing. Um, also, you were raised a Jehovah's Witness, and uh, I think it's interesting. You know, a lot of people don't know a lot about you know that particular sect of Christianity and. Um, just wanted to ask you how it affected your music and, and your upbringing. Wow. Um, well, I, I come from a really big family, and when you're Jehovah's Witness, you know they tell you, we don't celebrate Christmas, we don't do Halloween, like we don't do any holidays, and it's this is thing where you don't really associate yourself with the world or anything secular. But you know, my mom was a Jehovah's Witness, and you know, all my aunts on her side, but my dad, you know, he didn't have a particular religion, though he's spiritual. So, you know, I wasn't like, you know, some of my cousins who had both parents that were Jehovah's Witnesses and they, they couldn't play sports, you know, they didn't join the band, anything, anything like that. Like, because my dad wasn't a Jehovah's Witness, you know, we kind of had that good balance in the house. So, you know, I had, I had a spiritual foundation to stand on, but at the same time, I had some leniency where, you know, I could play sports and, you know, if I, I dropped out of band, but um, I could play band. The band instructor put his mouth on my clarinet. I was like, no, mm, <laughs> not following up with that. I, I quit the next day. That's all it took. But um, <laughs> when that I slobbered, no. Yeah, you have to, you have to slobber the reed. Yeah, and... You know what I'm saying? I was like, really? I did like, it for a year too. I know. Okay, uh, you feel me. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was how my home was. You know, we didn't celebrate Christmas, but, you know, I never felt like, you know, I was left out because we would get all year long. So, um, you know, that's what it was. It, it wasn't a thing where, you know, I felt left out or different. Like, I was just glad I had that balance. And, you know, I guess how it affected the music was, you know, one, I was, I was kind of shy to let my mom hear my music. And my dad still fusses at me about this day because I, I curse a little bit, just a little bit, <laughs> you know? So I think if, if anything, but, um, other than that, like it, it didn't affect the music at all. You cool. know, yeah. the, the great thing that I liked about being a Jehovah's Witness for me um, was just it was made up of so many different nationalities and races and different people. And so, you know, I wasn't sheltered in that aspect. Like, you know, my best friend growing up was a little white girl. 
So, you know, when we talk about race and things that's going on today, like, you know, I, I know like all people aren't racist, you right. know. And from that perspective, it, it just changed my worldview where, you know, I see everybody as individuals. You know, right. yes, we're, we're all different colors and I see color, but at the same time, I see you as a, an individual too. Right. And I respect you. I come in with respect first. So. Well, that, that's a good segue because I wanted to ask you about Hard to Choose, which if you're a Rhapsody, Rhapsody fan, I assume most of you guys have heard that song, which is just so incredible. And it speaks so honestly and cl clearly about race in a way that not many songs do. Forget hip hop songs, like any song of any genre, it's very rare to hear a song that's just so honest and um, so reflective. You know, there's a line in there, when you look in the crowd, the minority's never white. I appreciate y'all, but I'm lying if it don't bite. I wanted to ask you about that line and just uh, where it came from and you know, your, your thoughts behind it. Yeah. Um, I remember when Knife made that beat, and that actually Knife came up with the concept. He was like, you know, I want you to rap about, you know, things that are hard to choose from, you know, this or that, and you know, just the slack of being an artist and being a black female artist, and the ones that you really want to connect with, like, you know, black black females, those aren't the ones that are necessarily at your shows all the time, and you know, those are the ones that are somewhat last to get to know who you are and I don't know if a lot of that is to do with you know TV and radio and you know how we receive our music but you know it's it seems like a lot of the, a lot of times it'll be younger white kids that know more about hip-hop history than mm. black kids and this is a conversation that me and knife talk with you know he's a professor and he's a professor at North Carolina Central which is a historically black college and you know you know, he'll be like, these students come in, it's like, because I'm black, you know, I don't need to learn about hip-hop. I, I am hip-hop. I know hip-hop. But it's the white kid that knows way more about the history of it. And, you know, so for artists like me who's not on TV and not on radio all the time, it's, it's the white artists that sometimes dig and find me before, you know, a black artist. And, you know, we just talk about how that's frustrating. You know, that's, that's one thing. And, two, um, you know, I would promote and promote and promote and promote. And then, you know, me and Knife would talk, he'd be like, you know, I get this message from this girl, it's like, why you got her dressed like that? And it's like, what do you mean? You know, when we were growing up, we had MC Light and Queen Latifah and Lil' Kim and Foxy, and they all were dressed different. So you say you, you're tired of seeing women over-sexualized, but now you have an artist that's not, and you say, why you got her dressed like that? You know, and those were the frustrating things that, you know, I, I had to deal with, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where those lyrics came from and that, and that frustration, you know, just not feeling like we support our artists enough. If they're not on TV or radio, then it's like, oh, you're not dope. Cause it's crazy. Like, um, Kendrick came to North Carolina Central before, uh, Good Kid Mad City came out, black students. And when he was performing, everybody was seated. Wow. Everybody was seated. Then Good Kid Mad City comes back and it's like, now you want him to come back, but you didn't appreciate him when he was there. And that's kind of something I think a lot of young black artists have to deal with, whether you're male or female, you know, just how we sometimes wait for TV and radio or BET to tell us what we should like and what's hot and what's popular. And, you know, instead of going and finding out ourselves and like, yo, this is dope, I like it. I don't need, you know, BET to tell me this is dope. So that's, that's just some of the struggles of it. Right, right. Uh, that, that also, like, there's another song I want to ask you about uh, on a similar topic, or really it's an interlude. Uh, if you guys have heard, there's an interlude after the song, I'm the Man. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. And like, uh, in the interlude, there's children talking, like 
children talking also very like openly about race, you know, and um, uh, just saying, my, my, if I'm remembering correctly, like my father told me, or, you know, I was told to be uh, apprehensive of police when I get older. Uh, that's one example that like will like break your heart when you hear it. And um, it's again, just like such an open, honest thing. And if you could tell me about that interlude, because it really stuck out to me. Yeah. Um, that's my niece and nephew, yeah. you know, that at the, uh, at the end and they're age seven and five. And, you know, that was right around the time of uh, Mike Brown. And then you had Trayvon Martin before this, John Crawford, you had all these young you know, black men and women dying at the hands of police. And it's something that's been going on for a long time, but because of social media and technology, now we have proof and we have video. And um, what I wanted to touch on, and I wanted people to feel that necessarily aren't black and don't really understand, is that we have to have conversations with our kids that you necessarily don't, be, you know, and that's, that's a privilege of yours and how you know, at the, as these kids are, they're so young, but they have to lose that little bit of innocence. You know, like you want to protect your kids and you don't want them to know about these things that grow in the world, but at the same time, you want to prepare them. And so you, ha you can't not have these conversations with them to let them know. And you know, they're smart. You know, we, we look at kids today, they know how to use your phone better than you do sometimes. And so, you know, they know how to go see videos or whatever, and it's crazy. Um, I was talking to my nephew the other day, we were riding, every time we get in the car, you know, he'll be like, y'all, can you play my song? And they want to hear the interlude because they like to hear themselves. And we were getting out of the car, he was like, are you talking about black people? And I'm like, well, yeah, I was like, you know, how do you know, how do you know that? He was like, you know, I was like, I listened, I listened to the song, he was like, um, he said something about Mike Brown, and it's like, you are paying attention and you see what's going on, and you know, one day I, I mentioned to him something about Malcolm X, but I didn't tell the whole story. And another day he came and, you know, he told me how Malcolm died. And I was like, how do you know that? He was like, well, the movie came on television. And I remember you telling me about him. So I watched it. And he's seven years old. And for him to get that. So, you know, he knows already at seven that he's looked at different because of the color of his skin. And it's heartbreaking. You know what I'm saying? Because Kids are so innocent, like when you're young, racism and you know, seeing difference, that's something you're taught. That's not anything you're born with. They could play with each other and they don't see no difference we're all kids, but you know, once they get in this world and they see what's happened, they learn that they're different. You know, the same thing with my niece. Um, there's a lyric in Hard to Choose about you know, picking a blonde white Barbie over a black Barbie. Um, you know, I, she loves Barbie, so I spoil them, so I take her to Target and you know, she'll pick out a white doll and she has a million of them. There's nothing wrong. Like you want your kids to have all colors of dolls. You know, that's how the world is. But um, she had like so many and I picked up a black. I was like, why don't you get this one? She was like, I don't like that. That's ugly. And I was like, wow. I was like, why is it ugly? And she was just like, it is. It's just ugly. This is pretty. And this happened like several times. And you know, me and my, my sister would tell me like, don't buy her any more white Barbie dolls because she needs to know that she's beautiful. And, you know, that, is, that, that look is no more beautiful than what she looks like. And she finally has it now, but, you know, that just shows, like, the world they're in, they, they pick it up so easy. She's five years old, and she's already having, you know, these problems with, with her image where, you know, I'm not pretty enough, you know, my hair is not straight enough, you know, I'm not light enough, blue eyes and blonde hair, that's, that's beauty. So, you know, that's my job, man. 
that, I mean, that seems to be a theme of your work. And um, I, I did want to ask one more question before we get to an audience Q&A. You know, your first album was called The Idea of Beautiful, then the new project Beauty and the Beast, and that relates to the song you did with Kendrick Lamar, Complexion. The kind of, there's sort of a running theme in there. Did Kendrick reach out to you, do you think, specifically because he knew that you kind of had this background of, of like writing about this and that you could address this topic the right way? Yeah, I definitely think it was, you know, calculated. Um, you know, I met him for the first time in 2011, and we've always, you know, had a good relationship, been fans of each other. So, you know, he knows my music, and of course he knows that I know all of his. But, um, yeah, man, I, I heard the story was that he was in South Africa when he came up with the um, concept in Cape Town. And he would walk out, and, you know, he would see all these different complexions. And nobody was, you know, acting stuck up or whatever. Everybody looked at each other like, you know, the same and treated each other the same. And he thought that was beautiful. And it was something that he didn't see a lot of here in America. So, you know, that's, I, have, I saw him yesterday. We didn't get a chance to talk about it. But that's where I heard the, uh, the idea came up. And he called Ninth, actually, when he was in Africa. I was shooting a video. But he told me, he's like, I got this concept I want to get Rhapsody on. And... You know, but I definitely think, you know, being that he knows the music and he knows, you know, that's definitely something that I talk about. And just as respect of, as artist, um, that's that's why he reached out. So. Cool. Uh, we're going to open it up to some audience questions. Uh, how you doing? I'm from L.A. Okay, um, West Coast. <laughs> thank you. Pleasure to talk to you. Um, I just want to ask, do you think that it is an additional challenge for artists who have a message in their music to be heard? Yeah, well, it, it definitely has been, but I think it's gonna become easier because I feel like there's a shift going on, you know what I mean? And I guess too, it, it depends on you, like where do you go to find your music? You know, I think for a lot of the older generation who, who work and you know, they're not necessarily on the internet all day and when they get home, they don't feel like digging to find music. It's going to be harder for them to go find an artist that they like. Where you know, us younger generation, we don't necessarily need radio. We live by our iPods, so we we are on DJs, and you know, we have streaming services now. We have Apple Music. <laughs> you know, we have all these other streaming music, so we can go find music and be introduced to new artists a lot more easier. Um, so I, I think you know, with technology, it'll change, and I think that's part of the reason we're having this shift, where you have artists like. Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole going platinum, where you have somebody else who's on the radio all day and on TV all day, they're only selling 100,000 records, you know, and that's because, you know, that just goes to show, like, you don't have to, no longer do you have to have, like, a, a radio hit or be on TV every day to be successful. You know, people connect with music now, and they have the ability to go find the music they like versus waiting on radio and television to tell them what's dope. So I definitely think there's a shift going on. So it's, I think it'll be a lot easier, you know, but it has been definitely a climb in the past. So. That's, that's encouraging to hear. <laughs> yeah, man, stay at it, man. Next question, yep. Hi, I'm Raj Delari. I'm a jazz vocalist and an independent artist, and I'm a huge fan of yours. Oh, and I have a question for you. Um, it's really interesting to see you come out now as a female artist. Do you feel like you have more control as a businesswoman? And what are, what are your plans for yourself, like, you know, controlling your art and controlling your business and controlling the Rhapsody brand going forward? Do you see that you have more opportunities now? And do you feel more inspired as a businesswoman? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when I signed with Ninth, and one reason I signed with Ninth, and I wouldn't want to sign with anybody else because he knew me as a person. 
and he knew what I, you know, what my brand was, what I wasn't going to change. And that's what I respected about him. And we always said from day one that we always wanted control of our music. That's the most important thing. And, you know, to go from where I was when I first met him to now, and we not have, like, everything we do is organic. We don't have publicists or anything. So, you know, to make it to the BET Hip Hop Awards and to make it on an album as monumental as To Pimp a Butterfly and, you know, you know, to be here and to be on sites like Billboard and to do that all by yourself. It's like, what do I, what do I, what do I need a label for now? You know what I'm saying? And what the good thing about Internet is, you know, it takes that middleman out where I have direct connection with my fans. Like, you know, I don't have to go through anybody to talk to you and to get to you. So, you know, technology and everything definitely makes it easier. If I had came out in the 90s, I think it would be different because, you know, you needed a major label to get out and to get, you know, to, to get your brand out and get you out to the people. Where now with technology, we have the control. That's why you have Chance the Rapper who won't sign to a major label. Why, why does he need to sign to a major label? You know, he's been doing it on his own. He's not on TV. He's not on radio. But he is killing the game. And, you know, that just shows, like, I have control. And I'm going to keep that control, too, because that's the only way I can protect my art. So when you do, if, you know, if, even if I decide to go into a label, I have a lot more leverage to go in with. You know what I'm saying? So. Hey, Rhapsody. I was about to say, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> So good. Yeah, I can't. I'm still wearing your the Rhapsody T-shirt you gave me. Oh, you got an Durham. original. Yo, you need to frame that. Turn on the B girl, yo. <laughs> That's Very from rare. the uh, 2011 Mac Miller tour. Yeah, yeah. I and still got a lot of those I could sell. Yo, you need to sell them, John. Yo. You should have brought some. And I'm gonna give them away. That I wore is I am rap, oh, and like wow. this like like really like large white man at Comp USA try to freestyle like because he saw the shirt and thought I was like a rapper I was like nah nah it's about Rhapsody but I, I, I ran was... that t-shirt to the ground like it's like it's I had to cut the sleeves off it's, it's really? I wore it all the time I gotta see you another I got a lot of those left too yo and I also wore I also wore my Duke hat national championship that's why I rock with you that's, see that's why I wore that's Coach so K. anyway, I'm sorry guys, I'm <laughs> rambling, <laughs> but I'm from North Carolina as you are, from Greensboro, and I'm, you know, I'm here now in New York, and how do you make that transition from like the small town, you know, just trying to hustle a little bit to the transition that you made now, which you're just like over, like all over the place, like how do you, how do you do that as an artist and as a person transitioning to the, a larger city and a larger venue? Wow. Um, I have to, I have to answer that from the artist because I still live in North Carolina. Yeah, I haven't moved. I'm not going to move. <laughs> North, the thing about North Carolina is it's not like a, a big city like L.A. Like I can I can still go out and nobody will bother me. Even if they recognize you, they'll be like, what's up? And that's it. Because every is God, sports, family. And then you might get music like they don't be caring <laughs> like that. So North Carolina is cool. Like that's an escape place. But um. I don't know, I, I guess it depends on the individual, you know, and your personality type, no matter where you grew up at. Um, you know, I, I think I, I got the hit when I went to college. Cause I was, um, I was telling somebody earlier, like my hometown of Snow Hill, the population, I don't know now, but I know when I was growing up, it might've been like 2000 people. So there are high schools bigger than my whole city that I grew up in. So everybody knew everybody, you know, I was, I was a popular at school, class president, prom queen, homecoming queen, like, but I, I knew and I hung out with everybody. Like, I don't care who you are, what you did, cool or not. Like, 
I go sit at the lunch table and we chilling. Like that's the kind of person I was. So then they go from there to a slightly bigger city of Raleigh, <laughs> you know, and they go to this big university where, you know, it's just you. So, you know, that's where I kind of got it, you know. So it was nothing then, like, just go with the flow. I think that's all we have time for, but... Uh, that's it? Okay. Thank you all. Thanks for coming out, everybody.